Hi guys, I'm Sean McCambridge. For over 20 years, I've been inquisitive, learning and experimenting with different ways to leverage our greatest asset, our minds, to work for us rather than against us. Join me as I engage with these inspirational guests to provide you knowledge and insights to help you achieve more. The show is sponsored by Stellar Recruitment and inspired by a company purpose and why, which is inspiring growth and changing lives. Thanks very much for tuning in. Right, guys, we're super lucky to have Jeff McCann here joining us here today. He is currently the Chief Growth Officer at Neuro Capability. He's a really interesting person, deeply kind. He's lived a great life, but he's reached this position where he genuinely loves what he does for work. He's got some great learnings to share as part of his sort of journey, quoting a bunch of different resources and references and books uh, around getting our greatest asset, and that's our mind working for us. I'm super confident that you'll enjoy this podcast today. Rolling. Cool. Well, uh, Jeff, thanks very much for joining us here today. I wrote down a few sort of notes in preparation for this, but for me, from afar, you seem like such an interesting person. You seem like you've lived a great life to this point, and obviously, we're going well, much more to come, but it appears you've now reached this utopian place where you genuinely love what you do. You're currently the Chief Growth Officer at NeuroCapability, where you combine the latest neuroscience and leadership through a range of courses and programs for individuals and organizations. Prior to that, you obviously had a long time in the car industry, so we'll talk about that in terms of pivoting, but you appear to be a deeply kind and very invested person around how the mind works, using neuroscience and the likes to understand how the brain works to help people. So, you know, welcome and thanks for joining us. I'm just, I'm going to use the word stoked to be here. (laughs) I'm just eternally grateful that I get to share a message and talk about the stuff that fills me with curiosity. And it comes around from those moments in your life. And if you're conscious of those moments and those decisions you make, and reflection, I think, is that thing. When you start to reflect at those moments, you go, well, did I make a good decision? Did I make a bad decision? What did I learn from it? Mm -hmm. Once you started saying, well, what did I learn? Mm -hmm. Or what can I learn? That opens us up. Mm. That's been my biggest transformation is I think about I'm as curious as an eight-year-old. Yeah. What can I learn? Yeah. What can I find? And it's like I've come across so many other people who are in that space. Yeah. And then when you come across people who aren't in that space, I'm curious to understand why they're not like that. Yeah. And quite often that comes down to education was our command and control. And we'll talk about leadership, but it was do as you're told, ace the score, tick the boxes, get on with your life because that's what you had to do at school. That's not the best way for people to learn. Mm. People don't learn like that. Mm. You know, the brain is so complex Mm -hmm. and no brain is the same. We all have the fundamental wiring. That hardware is there, but our life experience shapes who we are, Mm. shapes how we learn. Mm. And so when you're talking to people, you have to find a way that they're going to understand it. And I'll get a plug in early for my great <laughs> mate, Jamie, yeah. because when I'm writing things or talking about things, I need to make it that he can understand it in everyday language. And every now and again, I'll get a text message. He went, what was that about? I had <laughs> no idea. Yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. I've got to make it transferable yep. at all levels. Mm-hmm. And that's from the neuroscience point of view. I'm not a neuroscientist. What my job is, is to read and write about the discoveries, Mm. but then have it in everyday language Mm -hmm. that's accessible by everyone. Mm. That's Mm. the big step. Yeah. 
Now, well, I want to pick up on one of the comments you make there before about maybe moments or situations in your life. And you've had many seminal moments in your life. I want to throw a couple that I've picked up through my research at you, and maybe you can sort of talk us through some of those moments and how they've changed your life. So firstly, 15 years in the car game, deeply entrenched, strong career, a lot of upside, probably good money, then a change, heart attack. And then the one that really struck me and as a parent that really sort of brought a bit of a tear to my eye this morning is you wrote a note to your mum when you're 15, I believe, and then you got a, a hug from someone and that changed the trajectory of your life. So can you touch on some of those core moments and how they change your lives? I'll start with that one because yeah. that's, that's probably a defining moment of your life, oh. but at the time you don't realise. Yeah. My childhood wasn't pleasant and, and I don't need to go into the details, but it's something that having an alcoholic father had a huge impact on my childhood and the damage that created. Mm. He'd moved out of our life or was moving out of our life, mm. but there was still the damage was mm. done. Mm. And the one thing I'm eternally grateful is he wasn't a violent man. Mm. He was manipulative. He was all those terrible things, uh, abusive, but not physically abusive. So I'm grateful for that. But at the age, you know, in teenage years are tough. Oh, yeah. Let alone living in the worst house that was falling down, you know, the, the, being a bricky meant he didn't do anything around his own house. Yeah. He was too tired working on everyone else's. And you get to that moment, life is pretty tough. I'm in a really bad place. We're broke. Life's terrible. And I mean, it was, and, and I just sat down and I literally, this is how old I am, I wrote it out on a typewriter. Yeah. It was a white Olivetti and I still remember crying on the paper when I'd finished writing it and the next day and even now, I, like I, I'm in that moment, I can picture mm. my room. That very next day was the day and I won't go into the details mm -hmm. but I'd written a note to leave for my mum. Mm. I hadn't written a note to my brother. Mm -hmm. um, and he just realised I never wrote anything to him which is, yeah, anyway, but to my mum. Yeah. The next morning I was going to school and my best mate's mum, yeah. we always, he's been my best mate since he was five or six, right? And she saw me and she sees me every day. She looked at me and she said, and whatever the words were, you don't know at the moment, mm -hmm. are you okay? Mm -hmm. And she gave me a hug because she saw me through the pain because mm -hmm. I was always the funny guy laughing, mm -hmm. joking, chatting. And she saw me and said, it's something wrong. What's wrong? And I just burst into tears and yeah. I broke down. Yeah. And that hug from her yeah. genuinely saved my life. Mm. At the moment, you don't realise it. Mm. In that moment, you probably don't know. Mm. But in reflection, I go, well, that's a life-saving hug. Mm. And I've been able to publicly thank her yeah. in front of a room of about 150 people. And that, being able to, you know, mm. share the gratitude mm. and the joy. And the number of people who walked up and gave her a hug. Mm. That's the power of mm. connection and human connection. Mm. It's, that's why you, you never know what someone's got going on in their life. That's why be kind. Mm -hmm. that, I always laugh that the other stuff, the negative stuff's mm. got a better PR team. Yeah. They've got better public yeah, relations, yeah, yeah. you know, the news, yeah. some algorithm and all the bad stuff. Yeah. So be kind. Yeah. It's just, that's those moments in yeah. life. You right. never know what someone's going through. Yeah. Just so powerful. Yeah. No, when I read that, mate, and it just sort of blew my mind, but such a simple act had such a profound change to your life. Yeah. I'm here because of it. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She had a, a massive impact in that regard, but- what about some of those other things like having a heart attack, potentially that's life-changing in a different way, <laughs> but then also you're deeply entrenched in a sector and no doubt being very successful with a lot of upside, 
And maybe there's some challenges or downside in there. So talk to us about those two other sort of, I guess, seminal situations around pivoting and career and then obviously, bang, having that heart attack. Yeah, well, I'll go the career second because the heart attack happened before the career change. Gotcha. Um, But it all sort of ties in together. I'm training to do a charity bike ride, smiling Mm -hmm. for Smitty, riding from Townsville to Brisbane. It's a 1,600 kilometres. I've spoken about it before, but gone out for a ride on a Sunday afternoon just to get in a training session. Barbie, you know, in that afternoon, beers in the fridge. Yep. Life's great. <laughs> Perfect day. Yeah. And I feel the chest pain. I'm going, hang on a sec. This is not right. I haven't felt this before. And I was fit. I was yeah. strong. I'd ridden up Mount Cutha three times on the Friday, and this was on the Sunday. And I'm going, there's something not right. So I rode a little bit longer and then went, nah, I think I'm having a heart attack. So I rolled back down the hill. Literally, it was just down a hill to home. Mm. And I came back in and... At the time, my teenage boy was lying on, on the lounge watching cricket and um, I said, because he said to me, you're home real quick, Dad. I went, yeah, look, I'm just going to ring your mum because she was down at the shops. I'm going to ring the ambulance. I think I'm having a heart attack. Straight away, he said, oh, it's all right, Dad. There's cricket on telly. I'll be fine. <laughs> so good to <laughs> know humour lives in yeah, our yeah, family. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I was lucky. Because I picked the signs up and the symptoms mm. up and paid attention to it, mm. a single stent cleared. I was out of hospital in three days. I had a great medical outcome with no scarring to my heart, which was rare because I'd picked it on the Mm. first moment. Mm. That's why I keep sharing the message. If you're over 40, you can go and get, and this is for men and women, Mm. what's called a coronary artery calcium score. And it's an MRI of your heart and arteries and will actually tell them whether there's blockages. Mm. That's the message I want to get out. Yeah. A coronary artery calcium score. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. cost yeah. a few hundred bucks, whatever it is, but it actually has a view of your heart and your arteries. So I ended up doing that charity bike ride. Mm-hmm. So six months later, like I said, yep. clean yep. medical outcome, yep. rode down. We raised as a group that event. It was somewhere like $350,000 as a group for cancer research at the Marta Foundation. Mm-hmm. So that's in the February mm-hmm. of 2019. Yep. Fast forward, your life has changed. Mm. It's called mortality motivation. Mm. You start to look at your life and put things into mm. perspective. Working in the motor industry, being paid well, good conditions for me because I was a senior leader in my role at a high level. And when I say a high level, I worked for Toyota and in my role within Toyota, the fleet manager role, I was number one in Queensland and number three in the country. So really good at what Mm -hmm. I was doing. I went into my boss because I'd been studying and reading and just diving into all this stuff about stress regulation. And a heart attack is because of stress. Bad living as well, but stress-related. Stress has a huge impact on our body long-term. The term's called allostatic load, which is the impact on the machine because you're going too fast, too hard the whole time. I go to him and say, look, I'd like to talk to our staff and about stress regulation, about frontline staff, about helping with customer details, that interaction of how to cope better, some breathing exercises, some bits and pieces. How do we Mm. support them? And I was told, who do you think you are? You're not qualified. Mm. Get out of my office and go back and do the job that you're paid to do. Mm. And that was the moment. Now, that moment was Melbourne Cup Day in 2019. I remember it precisely, Mm. like the very day. And that was that clinical moment, that critical moment of going, oh, I can't change 
Nah. Him. Oh, I have to change me. Mm. So when I talk about change, sometimes you require that catalyst. Yeah. Because you you know, I was being paid well. It, it was close to home. It was good conditions for me and my role. I was like, oh, I can't keep doing this anymore. So talk to us about how long was it before you resigned? And then obviously you've got this nice salary you're getting all the time, right? How did you sort of navigate that chasm of, right, uh, not aligned anymore. I can't see him changing, so I have to change. So when do you resign? And then what's your transition plan? Yeah. So that day, my wife and I worked on an exit strategy and we gave it time. Yeah. I didn't throw it in. Yeah, yeah. I got a mortgage, two kids in yeah, private schools. Yeah. I'm not going to throw it away. And I was in the middle of a big contract that I wanted to make sure I got paid for. So that was part of the yeah. timing. Yep. What came along then? A thing called COVID, right? And that was me. I said, okay, well, I'll exit early as long as you guarantee you pay me out. And that was the arrangement. And I walked away. And it was a shock to a lot of people because they didn't see it coming. Mm. But it was, imagine working out that you're really, really good at something, but it no longer is in alignment with who you are. Mm. Mm. And that's that. When you dig into who you really are and your reasons why, that then becomes that crystal moment of going, I've got to change me. Mm. I will be forever grateful for that person in that role Mm -hmm. because their lack of emotional intelligence was the catalyst for me. Mm-hmm. So I actually realized that I triggered them that day mm-hmm. and that's why they attacked, which is fine because that's part of what I was studying anyway. And it was like, oh, wow. In the moment, you don't realize it. You mm. just do what your instinct says. Mm. But that's when you have to take those gambles. Sometimes that career transition, mm. you've got to trust your instinct because mm. my instinct was had gone from a little quiet voice yep to that screaming voice saying, you've got to get out, you've got to do something more with the rest of your life. Yeah. You have to approach it in a whole different way. Mm. What can I learn out of this? Mm. And that's that career transition. Mm. One thing I've, I made a massive mistake and it, mm. you don't realise till later because mm. mm. life is all about learning from the mistakes. There's a process called recognition of prior learning. Yep. I could have got all these certificates, advanced diplomas, you know, even a graduate diploma, yeah. so a degree, yeah. based on my experience and working and, and because Toyota is so regimented yeah. and structured, I could have got that. Now, getting those tick boxes, and there's a company I work for now called mm. Churchill Education, I mm. write for them, mm. that's part of the process of helping people transition careers. Mm. When you transition career, you need that piece of paper to feel mm. a little bit bulletproof. Mm-hmm. For me, the best thing was COVID. Mm. Suddenly, all the pressure's off because mm. the whole world was thrown yeah. in disarray. We'd planned on going on a trip to Europe. Well, that was canned. Mm. Mm. I was going to the Eiffel Tower to have my 50th birthday. Yeah. And the closest we got was Park Road at Milton <laughs> under the mini Eiffel Tower, yeah, which yep. was pretty cool. Yeah, that yeah. was Ironically, it's my birthday in a, in a month's time and we're going back to have dinner underneath it this yeah. time. Whereas yep. last time, no restaurants were open. Of course. Couldn't. Like, yeah, yeah. We just had French champagne in the park opposite. Yeah. <laughs> you know. As an improv, yeah. But it's that I had to back my instinct. Mm. And mm. here's one of those greatest things in life. I'd married well, mm. not in regards to money, yeah. in regards to my wife yeah. backed me. Oh, yeah. And she said, you you've were miserable. Go. Yep. You've got to go for it. Yep. You've got to change yep. because I don't like you coming home yeah. miserable every day. Yeah. Now, well, we're going to touch on that as well because, yeah, it was evident in the podcast we talked about before with your great friend, Magnus, 
just how connected you are with your wife. So I want to save that to later because yep. I want to pick your brains on that yeah. as well. We both share a podcast that we listen to that we both admire, and that's The Imperfects. Yes. Um, and Ben Crow, who's well known for his work with Dylan Alcock and Ash Barty and mm. the likes, was on that podcast recently, and he talks about this notion of being your inner fan. Perhaps the flip side of that is the, the inner critic, which you know I think is alive and well in most of our mind. So I'm keen to understand, maybe from a neuroscience point of view or to this your understanding, how do we develop this notion of being out in a fan and the self-talk that goes on daily so much? And you know, as a parent, you're a parent, how do we help our kids have yeah. that inner fan? You know, because I just think it, it's a game changer, it's a life changer, whereas most kids and individuals are just so wired to be that inner critic. So what can you share with us here? The biggest realization is just being aware that that voice is trainable. Yeah. Yep. So most people go through life hearing this inner voice yep. and not realizing you can actually shut it off or you can diminish it yep. or you can change it. Yeah. So if we look at it from a learning point of view, most children's learning of right and wrong, love, compassion, judgment, all of that is done in the first five years. Mm. It's actually part of how the brain is wiring mm. as you learn. That's why kids learn so much so quickly. Yeah. The way the brain is wired is in those first five years. That's why it's critical in a child's development, the love and nurturing, because it's happening as the brain is wiring. Not only are they learning to walk, they're learning do I love this way? What is their condition? What's right? What's wrong? Mm. And they're mimicking what they're seeing around them. Mm. When we talk about an inner critic, particularly that negative voice, which we all have, who says, oh, this you've done this wrong, you've done that right. Think about what that voice is like when you're about seven or eight. Mm. And that's usually the voice you're hearing now. Mm. Mm. Because at seven or eight, you're just starting to become aware as a mm. child of okay, there's more in life than this, than mm. what's going on. And you're starting to understand, but there's always that person telling you you've done wrong. Mm. And quite often as an adult, you're still hearing that seven or eight-year-old, whoever it was, whichever yeah, parent so it, it could was, be a parent or a teacher or whatever. Whoever it was, yeah. because suddenly you've stopped being just a kid doing whatever kids do to being, oh, there's boundaries. I'm finding out about what's going on. And we tend to still have that inner critic. It's there, that voice. Now, Ben Crow talks great yep. about it and his work with Ash Barty mm. is just magnificent. I recommend Ash Barty's book because she digs right into how Ben helped her yeah. navigate that and make her realise that tennis was just something she did. Mm. But she is Ash Barty. She's mm, so much yeah. more than tennis. And as an individual, that's where that power of identifying your voice. There's a wonderful, wonderful book called Chatter by Ethan Cross. We'll put some notes yeah, in there yeah, because yeah. that book tells you how to diminish your inner critic. Yeah. You can listen to him talk about it on a couple of podcasts about how to harness it for the good. Mm -hmm. It's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. But the first thing is you have to be aware of it and then go, oh, I don't need to listen to it because that was a voice that I heard when I was seven or eight. Mm. It's no longer relevant to who I am as an adult. Mm, mm. But we learn it way back when we're judged when we're young. Yeah. But we're still, it's the same voice. Quite often it'll be either a mum or dad or an authority figure and it'll be the same voice. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And that's just because that got wired into us. That's yeah. where we learn positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. Yeah. And most people, it's always negative, mm, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, but when you learn that power of, of overcoming that, 
you know, social situations. Because they're the worst because your, your brain is constantly on threat alert. Yep. That's what it does. Yep. Yep. And we're visual. Most people are visual. Mm. So we look immediately and we're judging, is mm. this person a threat or not? Mm. And every layer. But if you've got a negative voice and mm. that inner critic, mm. rather than saying, oh, you're okay, it's mm. like, oh, is your hair all right? Mm-hmm. Is, is, you know, what you're wearing appropriate? Mm-hmm. I mean, it says a guy's in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt today, right? Because <laughs> that's just who I am. Yeah, that's yeah. what I do. But previously it would be, Oh, am I wearing the right stuff? Is this going to match? That inner critic then goes back to what you felt as yep. a seven or eight-year-old. Yeah. The biggest thing Ben Crow does in his work is just says, I am enough. Mm. So when you believe you are enough, mm. guess what happens? That inner voice gets silenced. Yeah. Gets turned down. Yeah. Because you're no longer listening to it because you're going, no, no, I'm enough. So when you hear that voice, just you don't have to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. If you're walking around saying, I am enough out loud, that's going to be a <laughs> bit funny. Uh, interesting looks, yeah. But that's the power of, mm. of reframing and rephrasing yep. to help with something like an inner critic. Yeah. So you talk about that consciousness and then you talk about maybe that neuroplasticity to once you're conscious, you can sort of be mindful of that voice and maybe turning one voice down and turning the other up. But how have you sort of helped your kids introduce this notion to your kids have they been able to grapple it because i remember as a kid thinking i knew it all and it's a shame in schools we're not taught about this sort of stuff to understand how the brain works and all that sort of stuff that awareness would be awesome so yeah have you done this with the kids so there's hope for future generations because they're teaching it to them now Mm. so i've got a 17 and a 15 year old my daughter's starting entry-level psychology in grade 10 awesome so they're going to have emotional language yep but she has, my daughter particularly, has a really strong inner critic mm-hmm. and we've identified it who it was and I've helped her navigate it mm. and helped her be aware of that mm. because of the work I've done. Now, yeah. I've only done that work in the last few years. Yeah. If I wasn't aware, she would be repeating the same things, whereas mm-hmm. now it's like mm. she's halfway through reading the book Chatter. Yeah. Like that's her book to read this year and it's an adult book but she's into it and invested in finding out because she hates that judgmental feeling Mm, mm. especially from the years 13 to 15 where a young girl's trying to find her body image her style my daughter loves bright colors and we go to record shops and look through record shops that's her thing Mm, right mm. and it but it took her a while to have the confidence Yeah, yeah now the number of times i hear people comment on oh, my God, that dress or that outfit just because mm. she spent the time but she's turned off or yeah. not turned off but she became conscious of that inner critic. Yeah. The teenage boy at home, that's not quite the same. <laughs> he's into, into cricket and all things sports, so yeah, yeah. His, his world's a little different. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. He doesn't care, you know. <laughs> Getting a haircut's a challenge. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I, I know that experience for my boys, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, nah, well, good luck on uh, – well, well done on disrupting, obviously, that process that was playing out for your daughter and changing that trajectory. I want to talk to you about how well-being in the work context impacts productivity. I guess a bit of an add-on to that is how do you create a psychologically safe organization, but also have an organization that's accountable, that delivers, that meets, because there is a, uh, I guess the oxygen of any company has been of to make money to continue and to grow and invest and all that sort of stuff. So talk to us a bit about how well-being impacts productivity. So if you look at it from a point of view of a business exists to make a profit, Mm -hmm. there's no denying. Without profit, it's no longer a going concern. ASIC will have something to do with it (laughs) if it's not a going concern. But when you look at 
aligning the why you mm. do it and the outcome, you're not having to manufacture the outcome. Mm. Mm. The outcome is a byproduct of what you do with your why. Mm. Now, okay, what's why? What's your company why, Sean? Yep, it's inspiring growth, changing lives. Yeah. That's it, mm. right? When I talk to companies and their companies, I, I only ever write with companies or mm. work for companies that align with my values. Mm, mm, mm. And when you come into these businesses from the top down, mm, mm. it's perfectly aligned. Yeah. What we're seeing now is a lot of pushback against the traditional command and control leadership models mm -hmm. in business. What we've got is these early adopters like your company mm -hmm. and like some of these other ones, they're already living and breathing mm -hmm. it. Guess what? Their business is easy mm -hmm. because they're not having to manage every layer mm -hmm. of their well-being of their staff. They're actively doing it from the top down. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing now, though, is these well-being initiatives, and please keep going because they're all heading in the right, right way. But it's a little bit like a nurse trying to stop the bleeding mm -hmm. while the doctor's still got the scalpel in his hand cutting. Yeah, the higher level of leadership, if they're not role modelling the way through their business, the business is watching them. Of course. So if the business is making all these decisions that's impacting their staff's well-being. And saying, oh, but you get what we always joke, you get free lunches and beanbags. Like, yeah, but I've got to work 70 hours a week and I'm so stressed, mm, you know. Mm. Um, there was the quote that we mentioned, what was the day we had your big- Oh, Stellar X? Stellar X, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, when yeah, we yeah. had that and, and Naomi spoke. Oh, and yeah, there, was that's the, it. there was the quote about your company's culture is the hearts, the minds and stomachs of your employees on a Sunday night yeah. thinking about Monday morning. Yeah. Now, you can't measure that KPI, yep. but if you could, yeah. you would know immediately about whether or not your business is profitable For sure, because people want to thrive. Mm. No one wants to come to work to be managed. Mm -hmm. And that's the big change. It's the same if you look at diversity and inclusion. Mm. But there was an interview last week and an American perspective on yeah. it, but it was they were being asked, what's your diversity and inclusion policy? And the interviewer said, What's your board? Mm. How many women in your board? Mm -hmm. Not one. Yeah. How many people of color? Yeah. In their board? Not one. Yeah. So the decision makers mm. was an entire white male yep. board. Yeah. But down the bottom, they had a diversity and inclusion process. Yeah. You're not in alignment. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And as a parent, you know, if you tell a kid, don't do that because I told you so. Yeah. That kid's not going to listen. Yeah. They will. Yeah. They'll get forced to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know that the resistance, they're not going to get the message of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And that's health and well-being. If you allow your mm. employees to thrive because they align with the mission, you don't have to spend time course correcting. Mm. You don't have to spend time in HR mm. conversations because everyone's in alignment. Yeah. And when you walk into these companies, Sean, it's almost I almost feel guilty going, Oh, this is so nice. This is so good. Yeah. But they're amazingly profitable. Yeah. And everyone is happy to go to work. Mm. What a great place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Know? And you're right, you can feel it. As soon as you walk into those organizations, you can feel it. It's got yeah. an atmosphere about it, can't yeah. you? You know? It's intangible, but as soon as you sort of see and interact with people, you can feel it. So I'm keen to sort of build on that a little bit and sort of ask you the big profound question around what is the future of leadership. You made a really interesting post the other day on LinkedIn where you quoted an individual over in the US, I'll do a very bad job of pronouncing her name, 
but it was in the past jobs were about muscles. Now they're about brains, but in the future, they will be about heart. So what can you sort of share with us in terms of that quote and maybe how that resonates or ties back to what you think and others think the future of leadership entails? What we're looking about is a combination of skills as opposed to when, and that quote specifically was talking about command and control leadership, which is an outdated model based on when everyone was just an hourly rate. Mm -hmm. So we're now moved into where it's more in the creative space. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we do now is about, you still need the muscle. You still need people doing things. This is not about saying you can't have mm -hmm. them. You have to have a balance of all. But the future will be leading with your heart, mm. then your head, mm. then your muscles. Mm. And that's that flow down effect. When you align all the way through, it's creating people that want to work with you. Mm. They want to come to work for you. Mm. And you become an employer of choice because from the top down, you're in perfect alignment. Mm -hmm. Human beings are wired for connection. We've just been taught greed by society. Mm -hmm. So we want to come to work where we're valued. Mm -hmm. We want to be seen. We want mm -hmm. to be part of a winning team. Mm -hmm. All of those tick boxes. Mm -hmm. What was it called? Google did it. Project Aristotle, right. where they found out that psychological safety. Yep. My great friend, Naomi, I've, I've <laughs> got to give Naomi Armitage a plug because she's one of the reasons I pursued what mm. I did. I mm. asked her yeah. and Carly's counsel yep. very early on, how do I do this? What do I do? Mm. And it's because of them that I went, okay, I can keep pursuing this. Yeah. And it's finding it, it, it's safe to be seen mm. and express mm. your mm. view mm. at work mm. without being shut down. Mm. Mm. So when you're leading with the Heart, and there's a wonderful book by an Australian author just released. Her name's Kirsten Ferguson. It's called Head and oh, Heart. Yep, you've seen it. And it is a magnificent read about the history of male-dominated mm -hmm. leadership models mm -hmm. coming out of particularly the 80s yeah. in America uh, and that the burning of staff and the torching of all for shareholder supremacy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then this transition. So your business has done it. You allowed your why to direct what you were doing. Mm. And when you do that, you set it up in a different way. Profit is, is a byproduct. Mm. But what happens is a lot of people talk about fuel economy in a car rather than what's the drive like. Mm -hmm. When you have a business, mm. the drive is what it's about. Mm. The profit is down the other end. Mm. That's a lead, the lag measure. You're looking at the past results. Mm. Let's focus on what we're doing here. And if your staff are thriving... Your profitability goes through the roof in tangible ways that you can't even begin to imagine because it just keeps, there's less sick days, that you have lower staff turnover. Forget about just higher productivity. It's all these other flow-on effects that you don't even realize. Suddenly, the best of the best uni graduates are coming to you because you're an employer of choice mm, mm. or because your staff are thriving. Yeah, And that's where it's heart, then your head, then the muscles. You've got to have that in you know, human beings. We're wired to connect. You know, it's interesting you say that increasingly we've been asked by our candidates, not just about what the business does and that sort of thing. They're asking us, who are the key leaders? What do they stand for? What are their values? What are their culture? That sort of stuff. And, and that's increasingly important to those people are looking to make a change, uh, particularly, I think, for the younger generation, you know, yes. just, just sort of understand the heart and soul of those organizations as a key sort of decision maker, whereas probably rewind 20, 30 years ago, was how big, what sort of market share do they command, how profitable, that sort of stuff. So the conversation and sort of decision-making points 
are definitely changing. So it's sort of aligned with what you talked about there, which is good to know. But yeah, more good reading. We're going to be busy reading after this, which is great. So I've already got a big queue of books. So I'll just add to that. So we'll make sure they're in the show notes. But I want to talk about habits. Habits, you know, enable us to achieve great things and they're a predictor of what's to come, perhaps. They also help us get the most of our life and, and live a fulfilling one at that. So I want to talk to you about habits. I know you talk about this notion of traffic university, which I love, by the way, setting boundaries between work and home life. I don't always do a great job of that. I think I'm getting better at that, but it's definitely a work in progress. But yeah, what are some of the benefits or the neuroscience and those sorts of things you can share around all things habits? Well, the best way to look at habits or whatever you do is the byproduct of the habits you're Mm -hmm. doing today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they just add up over time. If we look at it from from a neuroscience point of view, just imagine a dirt road. First time you walk down it or path. First time you walk through it, it's a little bit dodgy. It's You can't see where you're going. It's a bit stumbly and, you know, there's overgrown bushes and all that. You keep walking that path and then someone else joins in on that path and pretty soon that path becomes a six-lane highway. So that's how the mm. neurons in your brain yep. lay down over time. Yep. The longer you do something, the better you get at it. Yep. People refer to it as muscle memory. No, it's just neural pathways. Pr- practiced over time, repetitive notion. So whatever you're wanting to achieve, it's about creating that highway. So how do you create that highway? Well, first of all, you've got to make sure you're looking at the smallest habit to start with to then work forward. Mm -hmm. Because what happens January each year, everyone goes to the gym, (laughs) everyone wants that perfect New Year's resolution. And then by about February, Everyone's fallen off and then that's where the gyms have already made their money for the first quarter or for the first half of the year. And then they have to have a different policy. So they're cashing in on Mm -hmm. that because they know there's a a massive failure rate because people start too quickly. Mm. Mm. It's about gradually building those habits and there's, there's lots of books and I don't want to keep mentioning books, but I'll I'll get to traffic. I'll get to traffic university because that, but. When it comes to creating positive habits, yep. it's about a process that allows you to stack them on top of each mm, other. Mm. We always recommend it at Neuro Capabilities. There's three books we recommend, which is The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Uh-huh. And he's a reporter who just went in and started looking at it. Yeah, yeah. Followed by a book called Atomic Habits yeah. by James Clear. It's a cracker. Yeah. And then the deeper one again is called Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg, by okay. Professor B.J. Fogg. Now, this book, in B.J. Fogg's class, were the two guys who invented Instagram. Yeah, wow. And they understood the biology of human behavior. Yeah. That's why those platforms are so almost addictive because they cr- mm. they created this perfect alignment with what we need mm. inside our brain because mm. BJ Fogg had unlocked it mm. and taught it. Yeah. And so Tiny Habits is about layering and mm. stacking these habits like James Clear talks yep, yep, about yep. so that over time you create amazing things, mm. but you started off so small. Mm. You started off just doing one thing, but doing the timing and making it as easy as possible. Yeah. You're not going to get up in the morning and go for a run or a ride or do exercise in the dark if you can't find your clothes. Mm. So you put your clothes beside the bed in the morning. Just that one action. Yeah. The best way, and and this comes from the work with writing for Smiling for Smitty for almost 10 years now, if we're doing training blocks, the number one predictor of whether or not you will get up is whether or not you send a text message to a training partner. Now, that's your habit. Yeah. It's not the riding of the bike. Yeah. It's 
making you accountable mm-hmm. to someone else because mm-hmm. you sent them the text message, I'll see you at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. I'll see you at 5.30 in the morning. Yeah. Because if you don't turn up, yeah. what's your excuse, mate? That's right. You know? Yeah. And sometimes that's even raining. It's like, no, we've got to train. Yeah. And that's the power of that habit. So yeah. finding the right lever and, and James Clear, that's those mm-hmm. keystone habits, he calls it, where it's the one and then that has this flow on effect. Yeah. Could be drink more water. Mm. Well, have water beside you mm-hmm. as opposed easy. to, oh, I've got to get up and go and get water. Yeah. Reduce we, that friction. Yeah. We go through life, all those neural pathways, and they're already established. So mm. changing, you've got to be conscious of that change. And that's where Traffic University was a term I'd heard, and it changed my world yep. because I would commute. Yep. What are you listening to while you commute? Are you putting good stuff in your head? Mm. Audiobooks, yep. podcasts, yep. are you putting something into your brain that's lifting you up? Because mm-hmm. if you're listening to the traffic and the same ads mm. and the same 25 songs on the radio and the news on repeat, negative and, and the yeah. negative news every morning, you're going to start, you know, the, I mean, the science says your day will be worse just mm. by listening to the first 15 minutes of the news. Mm. Like if you watch the first 15 minutes, mm. your day will be worse. Yeah. If you're priming your brain for learning, and you're in the car and you're doing whatever you're doing or yep. you're on the train or yep. whatever, listen to something that's actually going to going to increase your knowledge. Mm. Within 12 months, that's equivalent to doing a uni course, mm, mm, mm. you know. That's right. Why wouldn't yep. you use that time productively? Yeah. That was the thing that changed for me is yep. that I started listening to audio books and podcasts and yep. now I consume them every day. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. No, it's a practical way to get learning. I like, so I like that notion of priming your brain. You're conscious of it, but there's also that subconscious sort of feeding in there, isn't that, you know, positive messages and uplifting as opposed to, I don't watch the news that often, but every now I, I do. It's so negative, it just smacks you in the face. Well, our brains are wired for the negative. That's yeah. part of the defense mechanism of our brain. To protect it, us, right? Once the negativity was, bias. It was yeah. super relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always looking for the negative. Yeah. Well, if you're watching the negative stuff, what are you going to be looking for? More of the negative stuff. Yeah. That's why you've got to counteract it. Yeah. That's why I think the PR campaign, like we talked yeah. about before, it wins because our brain is fear-based. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to move on to asking you and talking to you about finding your why. You've talked about that. And is it the Ikigai? guy? How do I pronounce Ikigai. it? guy. Ikigai. guy. Yes. So when you're doing what you love, you're good at it and the world needs it, and you get paid for it. Yeah. So evidently, you've done that. You've found yeah. that. So what is the process of finding your why? Because some people, it seems to come easy, and it, it appears that it's apparent. Other people just spend most of their life trying to find it. So talk to us about that process of discovering your why. I do believe it just comes mm. naturally to some people very young. Yep. They just tap into it. They've yep. got it. The rest of us, it's a work in progress. Mm. Because we are surrounded by the shoulds. Life is, oh, you should do this, yep. you should get this, you should have this. Yep. I mean, I worked in the motor industry for it was over 25 years. Was that? Sorry, yeah. That's all right. And um, so many people I met with really, really nice cars, yeah. but the rest of their life was in chaos. Mm. So society judges by that external measure of the yeah, car, yeah, yeah, yeah. but really what's that mean? You can just buy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We literally had a statement that there are some people that you will talk to that don't like their own families or their own life. What hope have we got of making them happy? Mm. We can't. Nah. And you know that person, they're always negative. They're always 
they come in and they're in that space immediately. You feel it. It's almost yep. like, oh, this yep. is doesn't matter where it is in life. You're yep. it's literally sort of per- your permutates, doesn't it? It's like your osmosis, yeah. Your threat response comes on. Yeah. Tapping into your why is taking time to actually go through what am I here for? What is this about? Mm. And yes, for me, that was a, a catalyst of some big moments. But prior to that, I was already starting to think, what is this about? Why am I, what legacy, this is where we got into legacy. Yeah. What am I going to leave behind? Yep. And I started to question what was important to me. Mm. And when you go through the process of the, so once again, a book reference, Simon Sinek <laughs> starts with why, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And find your why. He's actually got a book yeah, with yeah, a yeah, blueprint yeah. of yep. doing it. Yep. And it's a really interesting exercise when you do it because yep. it always comes out the same way. Mm. And so for me, I'm naturally curious. Mm. And because I'm curious, I love to read and I love to write. But I wasn't doing that in my professional life. Mm-hmm. And that's when you talk about Ikigai, when you get that in alignment. And if we want to talk about that process of I love books, mm. I love reading, mm. I love writing, mm. can I get paid to do it? So that's where you have to go through the process yeah, yeah. of developing the skills. So my skills, when we go back to habit formation, so I had to develop a set of skills over time. And that was to write every day, so Monday to Friday, five days away on LinkedIn. That's how I developed the skill of writing so that now I'm transitioning into becoming an author. Mm. I've developed a skill set over three years every day, day in, day out. And that was because of a great bit of advice a mate of mine Mm. gave me. And I went, oh, I might do that. Mm. Now, if I hadn't done that, there's Mm. no way I could write a book now because when you tap into that purpose of what you hear, it's about how do I get the skills I need to make sure I'm living that life that's congruent to what I want to do? I only ever work with people that are in full alignment. Mm. I've turned down plenty of jobs, mm. plenty of money mm. because I just go, I don't want to do that. It's just not who I am. Why would, it? Especially in the sales environment because mm. I spent 25 years being really good at selling, mm. but I'm not interested in selling. The mm. only stuff I will sell is stuff that's in line with yeah. what I want to talk about. Yeah, And that's... When you align with purpose, you suddenly go, oh, mm. you're removed from a weight mm. of what other people think you should do mm. and what society says you should do. Mm. And you go, no, I'm going to do what aligns with me. Yeah. And I write it quite often, but my main measure of success mm. is the number of hours I spend with my teenagers. Yeah. yeah because I, that's I, finite. Oh, yeah. I can't ever get that no. time back. And my son's 17 and a yeah. half and I'll never get this time back. And yeah. that's the most valuable time in my yeah. life. If I was still working my previous career, yeah. I'd be missing out on yeah, all of that right. time. Yeah. So talk to us about that because, you know, it become very evident in the podcast you did with Magnus and conversation we've had that you're deeply connected and appreciative of your wife, but you also seem back at that comment your value and you're super conscious of the time you spend with your kids and it appears you've got a wonderful relationship with your kids. So what are your tips and tricks around cultivating that because maybe it's by default design or, or, you know, share with us in terms of how do you get to that utopian state because life passes us by, there's a lot of competing priorities, there's a lot of things that are demanding of our time and sometimes you miss the important moments and times with the ones closest to you. So what can you share with us in that regard? There's no such thing as utopia. I like that, to, just to clarify. I'm human, so I'm fallible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's lots of mistakes and yeah, lots yeah, of things, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. But it's just being aware 
of the impact you can have by being conscious with them. Mm. Your children are there as a byproduct of you. Mm. For my wife and I, for both of us, childhood experiences weren't positive. Mm. When we met, so the greatest thing I ever did was asked out my wife. Yep. That was the best decision of my life <laughs> and it, it's changed my life immensely. Yep. The moment of clarity for us is that we knew really quickly, yeah, like within weeks, yeah. that we would get married. We, just that connection. Yeah, yeah. But we also both knew that we had to do the work. And so we gave each other permission to call out each other's behavior if we didn't mm. find it was in line with yeah, who yeah, they yeah. were mm-hmm. because those behaviors are from your parents. Yeah. And you probably don't yeah. like it, but yeah. you're just mimicking it, replaying yeah, yeah. it because yeah, that's what yeah. you grew up with. Yeah, yeah. So we gave ourselves permission to call that out. There's a quote about being a, what's called a transitional character. And it's in a generation distilling the poison so you don't pass it on mm. to your own children. Mm-hmm. Mm. So my wife and I worked really hard on that yep. because we saw a lot of poison mm-hmm. in our own childhood and we didn't want to pass that on to yeah. our kids. Well, it's, it's interesting and I'll just jump in there quickly. I don't think a lot of people are conscious of that intergenerational trauma or toxicity that can propagate, right? So can you sort of just debunk what that is? Yeah. So going back to, I said before about the brain forms and Mm -hmm. the way the brain forms um, in the first five years, Mm -hmm. and that's where you're learning right and wrong. Mm -hmm. So trauma in that period impacts the development of the brain. Yep. And that gets passed on. And we're now digging into the term epigenetics, which is Mm -hmm. is getting right into your DNA and and pulling that apart. We're actually seeing that generational trauma gets passed down. Mm. It's up to you, the individual, to stop it. There's no other way. Mm. The healing has to be done with you first so you can stop passing it on to your own children Mm. so that they don't pass it on to their children. I would talk to people about looking up what's called the adverse childhood experience Mm. score. So Mm. it's the ACE score. Mm. This is documented process of showing you how to deal with what happened Mm -hmm. in your childhood Mm -hmm. and separate it from the adult. And there are processes and it's like all healing. Mm. You have to be aware first to be able to heal. You can't tell someone you heal. You can't tell someone to get over it get on with it, all of those words that don't help. Mm. It has to be an internal process. Mm. But you need professional help in Mm. a really healthy way to help you navigate it. Mm. But by raising awareness, Mm. you can help other people change. Mm. And that's that thing that was a conscious decision for both my wife and I, not to share the poison. We Mm. didn't want to pass Mm. it on. And that's where you, you wanted to stop it. But that took lots of challenging moments and we got so much wrong. Mm. My (laughs) wife almost hit me across the kitchen table one day (laughs) because in front of our small children, I was about to say, shut your pie hole. And she said, once that's out, you'll never get it back. You know, those cute moments and you go, yeah, yeah, you're right. These tiny little kids walking around. You know, there's those moments where you catch yourself. Mm. My son was the greatest lesson in life and this is really important. He was about 11. I was working on a contract that was really big. And I said to him, mate, I'm doing really long hours at the moment. This is a really big project. This is going to be good for our family. Mm -hmm. And he was mad into sport, mad into cricket. And I said, look, mate, I'm not going to be home. And we're at the kitchen table. And he broke down and said, dad, I just want you home to play cricket in the backyard in the Mm -hmm. afternoon. Mm -hmm. And that floored me. Like I started crying going, oh, my God. Yeah. That's just, wow. Mm. Now, if I'd ignored that moment Mm. and just said, oh, sorry, mate, dad's got to work, 
that kid would have been rejected yeah. at that critical point mm. in his life and gone, oh, my dad doesn't care. Mm. What I did was said, okay, mate, I'm going to put in a reminder in my phone mm -hmm. that it comes up as an alarm. If I can't make it home, mm -hmm. I'm going to send you a message. Mm -hmm. But what I did was change my work day that mm. I left on time. Yep. And when they went to sleep, I did an hour or two. Perfect. Ironically, at that hour and two after they went to sleep, mm. There was no phones and no emails, so I got so much so more work done. done. Yeah, yeah. So it was a double whammy. You won on a couple of fronts. But yeah. that's one of those pivotal moments when we talk yeah. way back in the beginning about mm. moments. Mm. If I'd missed that moment with my son, mm. that would have altered his life. For sure. And his well, respect for me. We talked about that uh, notion of am I enough and being yeah. pro. He could have made, well, I'm not worthy enough for dad to take the that's time exactly. to come and play cricket with me. Business is more important. Career is more important. Money is more important. Yeah. Correct. You know, so we're meaning making machines right as human beings. That's it. So, mate, congrats for how you've done that. And it just seems like maybe the key sort of medicine for relationships with kids is just is time and presence. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm picking up. They just want you there. Yeah. And they don't want you on their phones. No. Even if they're on their phones, mm -hmm. right? This is <laughs> Their language is different because their uh, teenagers are digital natives. They grew yeah. up with – so to them, that's how they communicate with each other. Yeah. But they don't want to see us on our phones. Mm. They want us to be present even mm. though their language <laughs> is different. Yeah. And it's just acknowledging that that's different yeah. society, different that's generation. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Now, I love what you say. You said uh, early on they would see you out the door as you went off to work. Now yeah. you see them out to school oh, as your home and all the rest of it. So That's a great circle, watching my 17-year-old <laughs> drive his sister to school and we wave goodbye, my yeah. wife and I, most mornings. Yeah. What a wonderful moment. Oh, yeah. And because I asked them to do that when I was, yeah. you know, when they were young, come yeah. and wave goodbye to dad Yeah. every morning, apart from the ones where I'm not there. Yeah. That To me, that's just, you can't put money on that. No. Now, we only get one childhood with your children, don't you? In terms of that experience, you can't go back. So, And it's a busy time of life, right? There's a lot competing. And most people, when you've got kids, it's yeah. a very, there's a lot of dependence. You know, you've got a career, you've got financial, you've got your kids, a lot of time pressures. So, you know, good on you for being conscious in that regard. So I want to sort of finish up with a big one. And that's another quote that you put out there about Gary Vaynerchuk. And, and I enjoy a lot of the, the stuff that Gary V puts out. But the quote went, Please think about your legacy because you're writing it every day. And a lot of the stuff you've talked about already is sort of talked to that point. And then you also talk about your own quote around planting trees under whose shade you'll never sit. So can you sort of elaborate on those two quotes just in finishing great podcast today? When you start becoming aware of the impact you have on other people and how you can have a positive impact on other people, you go, what am I here to do? There's a book. Everything's a book reference with me. <laughs> you know, right, mate, I'm a book junkie as well. No, no I know. Oh, but it's junkie, book junkie, I love it. But the ability to consume information gives you perspective, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. the thing that I look at. But Seven Habits of Highly Effective People oh, by yeah. Stephen Covey. Yeah, yeah. I read that in my early 20s, yep. and I didn't get it. Yeah, it, it's pretty heavy reading. Yeah, yeah. didn't get it. Yeah. But there's one chapter I got, which yep. was Begin With The End In Mind, and mm -hmm. it, it says, imagine your own funeral. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they're reading your eulogy. Yep. What are they going to say? Yep. And when you think like that, suddenly you go, oh. Well, you start reverse engineering almost, don't you? Correct. And for me, what, it's not about, I don't imagine people at my funeral, but what I want to do is I can have a positive impact on the people around me. It's as simple as every interaction, can I leave that person better mm. for having talked to me today? Yep. 
the greatest thing is, is people who wear name badges, mm-hmm. they don't have Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. It's not that they've forgotten their mm-hmm. name. They know who they mm-hmm. are. It's so you can talk to them. So yeah. when thank them yeah. behind yeah, the yeah, counter yeah, yeah. and use their name. Yeah, yeah. We love to hear our own name. That's right. If someone, if the barista says, and what's your name to put it down on yeah. the order, yeah. ask them what their name is yeah. and thank them, yeah. right? Who doesn't want to feel that every day? Yeah. And so that's my guiding light, if yep. you want to look at it. Yep. How can I positively impact anyone I come in contact with? Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who it is. Mm. doesn't matter where it is. Mm. That's my choice. Now, this is one thing I want to reframe when you talk about looking at legacy and mm. talking about me being a positive person, mm. it doesn't stop the bad stuff happening. Yeah. Bad stuff happens all the time. And you've got a natural range of you emotions. You've still got to well. process it. You've yeah. still got to do it. But being an optimist means I choose then to still always look for a better mm-hmm. alternative to the world. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stop me and bulletproof me from bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And I still have bad days and mm-hmm. emotional days and mm-hmm. I still process that. Mm-hmm. That's part of being human. But when you learn the choice and it's, that's the power. You've got a choice. Mm-hmm. And if you want to look about a legacy, my legacy is keep your head up and look around. Mm-hmm. Right? Planting the trees under whose shade you'll never sit is, it's not just about you and I today. It's who do we impact? Mm. Who's going to listen to this? Whose family are going to mm. change? Mm. Because you and I shared an hour, mm-hmm. had a conversation, and their children will benefit because of one lesson mm. or one message mm. that some guy somewhere, mm. Barry in the mm. back of the warehouse mm. goes, oh, I'm going to sit down with my kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's what fills me. Yeah. That's what drives me. Yep. We've used the G word a lot today, mate, and that's gratitude. And, mate, I'm deeply grateful for you taking the time. I love how you sign off every piece of communication. And correct me if I'm wrong, be awesome, be kind. Or stay, awesome, stay, stay, awesome, stay, stay awesome, stay awesome, stay kind. I love it, mate. You're just such a positive ray of light and you're doing great work. And you can just see when you look at you how deeply connected you are to the passion and your yeah. why. So I'm just so grateful that you've taken the time to share a bunch of this. I'm going to be even busier now with my reading, but I'm like you. <laughs> I'm super inquisitive. And I think even if some people pick up one or two things out of this and or some of the readings and other learnings that come out of it, you're better off because yes. of that, you know? Yeah. So, mate, you're a legend. You're a great Thank human you. being. Appreciate it. I'm really, really grateful that you took the time to share some of these great things with us today. Thanks, Sean. And I'm grateful for being here. Thank you. Mate, it's awesome. Thanks so much for tuning in. It means the world to me. Uh, if you got something of value out of the podcast, I'd love you to pay it forward and share it with anyone that might benefit. Thanks again for tuning in.